Good morning. morning. I want to welcome uh, those uh, in person who are here in person. Uh, Welcome those listening and watching online. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings this morning. He is at New Orleans, I think, but don't, don't quote me on that. Um, I want to apologize in advance, especially to those who are watching and listening online. Uh, it is mid-September here in Happy Valley, and thus it is ragweed season. And I happen to be allergic to ragweed. So, um, especially to our viewers and listeners in Australia, the sniffing and coughing may annoy you, but it's the lesser of two evils. Trust me. We are studying lesson 13, the last lesson in um, our, the third quarter, quarterly, the teachings of Christ, and it is entitled The Second Coming of Jesus. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another week of grace and another day of rest that you've given us. I want to thank you for this opportunity to uh, explore and examine um, the thing that we most hope for, and it's the second coming of Christ, uh, to take us home and remove us from this world of of darkness. Um, I want to ask that you guide us to um, continue to reveal your character, that we may hasten your coming. Uh, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sabbath lesson. The memory text taken from John 14, verses 1 through 3. This is a very familiar text to all of us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Uh, first paragraph, the second coming of Jesus, mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament, is the capstone of our teachings. It is essential to our identity as Seventh-day Adventists. In fact, the doctrine is engraved in our name and is a crucial part of the gospel we are called to proclaim. Without the promise of his coming, our faith would be in vain. This glorious truth gives us a sense of destiny and motivates our missionary outreach. Um, Any thoughts or insights uh, into the memory text or uh, into the first paragraph? I don't know. For me personally, I guess... Without those, I, you know, I've had this discussion with people who don't even believe in God, you know. Right. Uh, what worth is it to be a Christian mm-hmm. if, in fact, this was your entire, this was it for your whole life? Would it be, still be worth having a relationship with the God who made you or not? If, if he didn't promise eternal existence, would this existence be worthwhile? And my contention is, even if we didn't have eternal life, just having a relationship with God for however many years you're on this earth would still be worthwhile. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, living in an other-centered manner, you know, caring more about the welfare and uh, and uh, the benefit of others more than ourselves uh, is is a better way to live. Why is it a better way to live? It's how we were designed. Everyone hear that? It's the way life was designed. Now... For those who don't believe in a designer God or a God at all, how might we uh, how might we enlighten them? How might we um, get their attention, as it were, to that's the way things were designed? 
and not survival of the fittest, which is the infection that is, uh, that is combating uh, the design template. Any strategies we might employ to, to wake them up? Live as a witness. Comment was live as a witness, yes. My brother is an atheist, but he put all his children into Seventh-day Adventist schools, all his grandchildren in Seventh-day Adventist schools. He's happy for them to go to church and to pray and to stay away from alcohol and drugs, etc. Have you ever asked him what what type of a God he doesn't believe in? No. Try that next time you talk to him. Ask, ask him... Okay, well, ask him about the type of God he doesn't believe in. My guess is that he has... He has been exposed to a God concept that is incorrect. That's not accurate to the, the God that you and I know. Ben? What about general morality? Okay. What about general morality? The, I, how, do you, how do you argue with an atheist about where the moral code comes from? What are the origins of the moral code? Because if, if survival of the fittest is the, um, is the way things were designed, then morality should be right out the window. It should be take what you want, then you'll get what you need. Or, you know, mine, mine, mine. Strong survive, weak perish. And the species is improved. So it's like when it comes to ethics, you're your own God. Correct. Yeah. And, and there are religions, the Wiccan religion teaches just that. You know, it, everything is okay as long as you don't get caught. I've read some things about atheist ethics in which they postulate that um, working for the good of others is part of evolutionary um, morality because we needed the whole species to survive together collectively as a group. How would you answer that? Uh, the comment was that some of, some of the atheists that she has had conversations with have argued that the human species needs to work together for the betterment of others for the entire species to evolve to evolve and to to survive not just for individual members of that species uh, to survive um i'm not sure how i'd answer that i i think it's a it's an interesting this is an interesting point they raise um i happen to believe differently i mean i would respectfully disagree that 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 is the motivation for working together for the betterment of others. And that doesn't seem to be played out in nature. I mean, I think the antelope that just got taken down by the lion would argue that point, that the lion, there's no concern whether the whole species survives. Well, there's a concern whether the lion species uh, survives, not the antelope species. Um, okay, that's a good counterpoint. Um, I don't know, good question. Let me rephrase that. That was not a good question. A good question is one I know the answer to. So I want, I want, to, uh, I want to make that clear <clears throat> for future reference.
you know, getting worse. We're not evolving towards selfless society as much as everybody would appreciate it if we did because it wouldn't hurt them so much to live here. Oh, I, I agree. I, I, I think the human species is devolving, not evolving. I mean, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of argument there. Yes, Wendell. In this class, we appreciate natural law mm-hmm. and how God has set up his universe. It's true that as we work toward the benefit of another, which is the definition of love, that we will help all of humanity. And and there are sparkles or small bits of truth in many fallacious theories. And just because I have family members who do not believe in God and yet believe in some aspects of what I would believe as being natural law doesn't mean that I think that they ha- are closer to the truth than I am or whatever. I think God has revealed to us truth. And there are certain things that are in other philosophical foundations that are true. I, I think that's a great point. That's an excellent point. It, it does not inform a unified thing. What the second coming does is it provides a unity to our beliefs. It makes our belief in God, our belief in the state of the dead, all of our beliefs as a unified whole. It makes sense. Uh, It's an excellent point. I was just thinking while you were talking that, you know, the evolutionary scientist believes in the law of gravity, or the laws of momentum or thermodynamics, or the physical laws. You know, the evolutionist physician, you know, believes in the laws of health. Yeah, good point. Um, more, more to the point uh, here about the second coming being the capstone of our teachings. Um, is the second coming of Jesus the capstone of our teachings, or is it? Or should it be? Or, or should it be exactly? Or is it more? Is it a revelation of something that actually is the capstone of our teaching? It's good if you believe God is good. <laughs> yes, excellent. If, if who's coming back? Is someone who you want? then it should be the capstone. That's what strikes me about this memory text, is the very first word, is that not your heart be trouble. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, an inclination that some people are afraid of this event happening. Right. Yeah, we, we, I, I can't speak for everyone in this room, but raised, raised as an Adventist, you know, we, we were indoctrinated with this persecution complex that uh, you know, we're going to be persecuted for our faith and be very afraid of the time of trouble and... and you know, the Lord's coming to bring his iron rod of justice to uh, rule the nations with. And I remember having nightmares as an 11, 12-year-old about about the second coming and waking up in a cold sweat. I think, really? What, 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 more, what should the second coming of Christ reveal to us? It should feel like rescue. <laughs> it should be like getting out of the armpit of the universe. Okay, rescue. What else? It, it begins the vindication of God's character. I think the Calvary did that. Yeah. Um, or it begins the culmination. In my opinion, it's the second step in the vindication of God's character. Or third. Okay, creation being the first, Calvary being the second, second coming being the third, and the third coming being the last. 
which um, we may get to uh, as time allows. Um, we've already talked a little bit about how does our understanding of uh, law affect our understanding of the second coming? What does what natural versus imposed law have any uh, play any relation to Christ's return? I, I know many folks who are eagerly anticipating the return so that people who have wronged them will get theirs. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, it, I mean, we can we can chuckle about it, but she's dead right. I know... Just, I mean, this is... Yeah, because he has two faces. One side's love and one side's angry. Okay, did, does that does that harmonize with uh, a natural law understanding? Peggy? Adventists spent a lot of time focusing on the second coming because they want to see those who have caused them pain get what they deserve. You hear it in sermons all the time. Right, yeah, and my sister just echoed that comment. That's right, and is that accurate? Be careful, is it accurate? It it is accurate. The folks that are... The folks that are alive on earth, whether they'll be in how many groups? Two different categories. Sheeps, goats, wheat, tares, righteous, unrighteous. Yeah, pick your metaphor. They will get what their character development has been. They will receive They will receive the natural law. I think that the second coming is God's love for his people. From the clutches of Satan. Okay. It's a revelation of God's love from the clutches of Satan. Yes. Did you have a comment? Yeah, I was thinking you're asking the wrong question. Okay. What should I be asking? (laughs) Well, um, it's where the focus is. And I guess it depends on which side of the fence you're on, what your focus is. Because I want to see Jesus and see my children, you know, and, and loved ones and live a beautiful, harmonious, and perfect life, because there's no, there, we don't have that perfection here. Not yet. Um, scripture and, and what I believe to be inspired writing does tell us, though, that there will, be, there will be a group of people living on earth at a time before Christ comes that will be living a sinless life. They will be, they will be revealing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth, at a time when God's God's spirit will be will have been withdrawn from the earth, so there there will be a a quote heaven on earth as it were before Christ comes again. Was did I miss did I miss a hand? Oh yes, Brian. I was going to say if Christ takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, then his true followers won't either. Yes, we 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 forget we forget that text, don't we? As I live, saith the Lord of hosts, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Yeah, I mean, how how can we how can we want to spend eternity with a God who's going to be gleefully um, raining down fire and watching his children suffer? I mean, really? It's that text. That uh, going along with with uh, what Lori said and Brian just said, 
uh, what is the text? Vengeance's mind saith the Lord. And and people, I think, thinking again, I've been sitting here listening to this, thinking about if we have at all that attitude of, you know, okay, well, God's going to take care of it for me, and it's coming. Um, it's saying something about our character. That's right. And that we are not where Christ wants to bring us. We're missing the boat. How are we really any different then? Are we, are, are, are we growing in Christ? And so basically, if I have that emotion or feeling towards someone, instead of love, that even if they've terribly wronged me, um, if they've terribly wronged me, it doesn't mean I need to be a doormat. It doesn't mean I don't, that I shouldn't feel angry. But I've got to release that to God, do what I need to do to take care of myself and have a good boundary. But then I've got to be able somehow to give that to God where rather than, well, he's going to zap him for me eventually. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I'm not supposed to do that. If, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, then I've already zapped him in reality to God. Mm-hmm. I've been vengeant whether in in an unchristlike way, whether I have acted on it or not. And so I think it's just something that I have to submit to God and say, Lord, help me respond as you would like me to here in a healthy way, both in good self-care and in love towards that individual too. I think that the big part of the problem here is that we often don't, we we, we pay lip service to to the idea that yeah, Christ came to reveal the Father, and yeah, if you've seen me, the Father, you've seen the Father, and Christ asked um, his Father to forgive those who nailed him on the cross, but we don't really believe it. We still harbor these these thoughts of, you're going to get it one day, I just can't wait. I mean, we don't, we don't really understand that of those who are saved, they would trade places with their enemies. I mean, think about that. Standing up on the wall of the holy city, seeing the the the, uh, the wicked, you know, massing to, to march and take the city, and, and seeing you know a trusted relative or a friend out there, and thinking, I, I would gladly trade places with him or her if only they would, if only they would come in, if only they come in the city and see what it's about. Think about. I mean, think about that. Trading places with with your enemy. Think about the 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 woman who suffered sexual abuse from an age of four four years old on, seeing her abuser out there and, and wanting to trade places with him. If only he would come in to the city. It's powerful. And we also have a, a gross misunderstanding of God's vengeance. Okay, think about standing next to your abuser on the wall. Where where God's vengeance was, he convicted the abuser in his heart and conscience, and the, and the man repented, gave his gave his uh, his heart and life to Christ, and is now is now your neighbor in heaven. There'll be some interesting uh, you know afternoon conversations up there, won't there, Linda? Well, 
Well, I was going to say along those lines, I think we're asked to, to allow God to take his vengeance because our vengeance is not meant, we don't intend for that person's salvation to be part of our vengeance. We just want to do the man or get even with him or whatever. And God says, you know, let me handle it. He is interested in that person's salvation. He is interested in that person learning more, being drawn to him. We may not be, although when I think we're, we're one with God, we will want the same thing. Yeah. Ultimately, as, as a non-converted soul or, or as a person, you know, not quite there yet, God has to say, just let me handle it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he wants them to be saved. He, he corrects in a way that tries to save. We were just correct in a way that tries to end their life. Yeah, and you know, all we have to do is listen to you know a presidential speech or some some political discourse on you know the the uh, Islamic fundamentalists and ISIS, and we're going to bring justice to them. We're going to exact our vengeance on them. They will not get away with this, and that that keeps getting reinforced and reinforced and reinforced in the minds of humanity. That vengeance is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Peggy. A star sums it up like this. It's also important to remember that God's vengeance is turning his enemies into his friends. That's right. Well said. God's vengeance is healing. I mean, look at, look at the example of Manasseh. I mean, the enemy of God. He, he, how many of us have sacrificed one of our children to Molech or Chemosh or one of these pagan gods and, and burned them alive? Okay, Manasseh did, and he encouraged the rest of Israel to do the same thing. And when in prison, he, God reached him. And he said, what have I done? And he repented and, and made an effort to, uh, to correct the evils that he had wrought. Wendell? He, cut, he had the um, prophet cut in half with a saw. Was that Manasseh? Yeah. Okay. The Isaiah? Yeah. So when he, when he and the prophet meet in heaven, and right. he happens to have a saw in his hand. Mm-hmm. I think the way that we can deal with that emotionally is to realize if a person who has terribly wronged us is in heaven, they're not going to be that same person anymore. And nor will we. Totally different person, and you're right. So will we be different? So it's not. Oh, I have to live next door to my abuser mm-hmm. in heaven for eternity. Well, they're not going to be that same person. If they are totally changed by Christ, we're going to love who they are. Right. But but one thing we can't understand as a human, I don't think, is loving that person when they were who they were, and I, I, and that's hard on a human. Uh, level. Sure it is. Think about if you're on your way to church and you're going to be a greeter at church and someone cuts you off and you get angry at them and you do some things that are unchurch-like and you get to church and you're greeting people and here comes this guy, he's a visitor. <laughs> it, it kind of depends on how you view people. That's right. As God's children, it tends to change the way you look at them even when they misbehave. doesn't mean you condone or put up with it, but you still... It changes your approach. <laughs> Consequences of behavior. That reminds me of uh, a story. Uh, a <clears throat> young woman I used to date uh, when I lived in California, she had a friend that uh, was applying to dental school. 
and he was driving on LA freeways, which are you know notorious for you know courteous drivers and and uncrowded conditions and things like that. Well, some guy cut him off or something, and he made an obscene gesture and and you know was yelling out the window to him, and finally made it to the dental interview, sat down in front of the guy that he made the obscene gesture to. And there was recognition on both parties. And the young man said, am I wasting my time? And the guy said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, it, natural law, folks. I mean, there, there are consequences to, consequences to behaviors, uh, not, not only in this life, but perhaps in the one to come. Um, how does the how does Christ's second advent relate to the first one? Are there any similarities or differences? Yes. One of the nice things about having a perspective as as a Seventh Day Adventist is that our our church began really um, in in the study of prophecy, and certainly Christ's first appearance was as much a, a uh, fulfillment of prophecy as his second will be. And of course, that's what gives us hope, so much hope that we will see the, the uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ's return and also of our salvation and all the rest of it. You know. So I think it's a, an especially valuable thing to be a part of what we generally call the spirit of prophecy. Okay, any other thoughts on the similarities or differences between uh, the first coming and second coming? What did Christ reveal at the first coming? Thank you. He revealed God's character. What's he going to reveal the second coming? Same thing. Okay, it's another piece of the puzzle. Okay, in addition to taking us home uh, and, you know, giving us the reward for faithfulness and all, all of that, um, it's a revelation of God's character of love. And so is his that's, that's correct. We'll get to that uh, here in a little bit. Um, I want to... Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about Sunday's lessons, and it's uh, called The Promise. Um, The promise is, is a reference from John fourteen one through three, um, which is, was the the memory text. But consider the context in which this promise was made. And if you read verses five through through fourteen, it gives us some uh, it gives us some a bigger picture. Thomas said, "Master, we have no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to know the road?" Jesus said, I am the road, and also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You've even seen him. Philip said, Master, show us the Father, and we'll be content. You've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand? To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where is the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you aren't mere words. I don't just make them up on my own. Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. That's taken from the message translation. The disciples that were following him still didn't get it. 
they didn't understand that they were in the presence of God with us, Emmanuel, God on earth. And Christ made the promise that in my Father's house are many mansions. If I, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back. He did that to strengthen their faith. They they were still darkened in their in their thinking and, and in their understanding of who he was and what he was. And hasn't that been the problem from the beginning? Yes. I mean, didn't Lucifer himself did not uh, either didn't believe or accept the the fact that the, the being that we know as Christ was one with God in spirit and love and truth and freedom and law and mission. And he he bent his master intellect to deception. Uh, it was more of the fact he was kept out of the loop. Confused about his own status. Perhaps he he may have been he may have been uh, aggrandizing self and and you know thinking that he had something to offer. Uh, in the councils of heaven. But there, there may also be an element that he he viewed Michael, who uh, my in my understanding is the same being that we know as Christ. Uh, he viewed Michael as a created being as well. Yeah, there, are, there are many. There are many. Um, there are some religions that that have Michael and Lucifer as brothers. That they were brothers. They were. They're both God's sons, equal in capabilities and equal in being. Okay. Now I I happen to believe these are pagan in their thought concepts, but the religions are out there that Michael and Lucifer were equal brothers. One rebelled. One didn't. And blah blah blah. So I, I don't know what went through Lucifer's head. Monday's lesson, the purpose of Jesus' coming. This is actually a pretty simple answer. What is the purpose of Christ's coming? To take his redeemed home. To take his redeemed home. Anything else? Reveal God's character. Thank you. What has been God's purpose? What is everything that God has done since sin originated in heaven? What is what is He? What has been His sole purpose? I like we Linda put it was rescue. I think it goes beyond rescue. But all of that is part of his character. I mean, that's just a. That's correct. Rescue, rescue is a. Thank you. That's right. It's a, it's a it's an outgrowth of his character. Okay, the purpose, in my opinion, the purpose that everything that God has done since sin originated in heaven has been to reveal His character of love to the universe. Okay, that includes the creation of Earth our solar system, and man and woman. Okay? Humanity was designed to be part of that evidence. 
and to reveal God's character of love to the universe. The first coming of Christ was designed to reveal God's character of love to the universe, as will the second coming and the third. Any thoughts, comments, brilliant glimpses of the obvious? He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Right. I, I believe that or Lucifer at the time thought that he could presume upon this character of God and push his agenda as far as he could to achieve his ends and that God would somehow still allow him to be part of of creation or a part of the universe. I believe that the uh, revelation of God's love also indicates that by presumption or by choice, we can go too far for him to be able to reach us. And that's what happened with Lucifer and Satan. We use the metaphor of of a spectacle in a theater. Mm -hmm. If you go to a theater, there comes a point towards the end of the evening where things start resolving in the play. In the normal process of time, things resolve themselves, come to completion, come to fruition. If God and if God has been loved through eternity, because he is, that's who he is, and Christ has reflected that, that has been the same as, as has been mentioned yesterday, today, tomorrow. The second and third comings are also just part of this natural coming to fruition. It's It's... This is the time for this to happen. Right. And this is the time for that to happen. Right. And then it's over. God won't need to reveal any more of his character. Well, let me rephrase that. We, we, humanity will finally be in harmony with God's character of love. We will spend the rest of eternity plumbing it and examining it and learning more about it because it's infinite and we're not. So we've got an infinite gap yet to go. Uh, to be before we even scratch the surface. So uh, our learning and our appreciation for his his character of love will continue to grow. But he will have provided all the evidence needed. He, He will finally be able to rest his case. The lesson, in, uh, let's see, we're in still Monday's lesson. The lesson states, the, quote, The great plan of redemption will find its culmination in the second coming. Without Christ's return to this earth, his incarnation, death, and resurrection, excuse me, without Christ's return to this earth, his incarnation, death, and resurrection would have no effect on our, for our salvation. Is that, is that accurate? That sound? I disagree as well. The idea of... What's that? I mean, the healing remedy was achieved at the cross. Correct. It's within us. Eternal life is now. Yes. There's a lot of indications that the healing and the transformation is taking place. And like you said, if we've got sinless beings living here before the second coming, that's a lot of transformation to happen, even if he doesn't come back. Right. I agree. Because it's it's the way life was designed to operate. It's it's the way to live.
I believe that the, quote, plan of redemption will not find its culmination until after the return of the holy city to earth and the final destruction of the unrighteous in the, quote, fire of God's presence and see Revelation uh, chapters 20 through 22. Consider, consider why the, the, the uh, plan of redemption and the revelation of the plan of redemption might take this long. Why might the plan of redemption not meet its culmination until after the third coming and after the, the march on the holy city and, and the, the of final revelation of you know, God's unveiled glory, the lake of fire, as it were? We, we've talked about this before. It's been a while, but... I don't think our understanding of it will be complete until then. Well, okay. You basically, yeah, okay. Then, then there we're finite and God is infinite. Yes, our understanding will, be, will continue to be growing, but... <clears throat> go ahead. We're on artificial life support now. Right. And so this is a temporary emergency measure because of this thing called sin. Mm -hmm. And once sin is done away with, and it talks about death is destroyed, that means sin is destroyed once and forever, and then it is complete. Right. And then, as the um, Mrs. White's um, final words, all earth and the universe pulses with one thing, and that is God is love. Mm -hmm. You know? That is the culmination, is the completion. Right. Consider <clears throat> consider this scenario. Uh, as a parent, you have a you have a rebellious child, and this child just is adamant that he's going to choose his own way. He chooses his own way, and as a loving parent, you've had to let him go. But here again, as a parent, you know that there's there's some good in that child. There's some there's something that is, is yet to be done. Well, okay, Christ comes again, second coming. The parent is is translated to heaven. They get up there and they're looking everywhere for their son, and he's not there. And they go to Christ and say, "Look, I I know that I know my child." Wanted to be here. I know that he he would he would love it here. I know that he would he would appreciate it if only he could see. Christ says, "Wait, be patient. Here here are the record books. Here are the interventions that uh, I tried to uh, I tried to reach. The Holy Spirit tried to reach his soul, and it was the entreaty was rejected. Conscience was seared. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. Here's the." Here's my efforts to apply the healing remedy. And it was rejected, rejected. And you as a parent may still think, if only he could see this. If only he could be here. If only he could be surrounded by people who are of one accord, who love one another more than they love themselves. I know my son would like to be here. So the Holy Spirit, he comes back to earth after a thousand years. You have a thousand years as a parent of wondering and thinking, if only my child could be here. If only he could see this. The city comes down to have from heaven on earth. This 1,500-mile cube. Think about the dimensions of that for a minute. 1,500 miles wide, long, and tall. And it lands on earth, and the gates are open. 
Gates of the city are open. And you're standing on the wall, and you see your son out there, and you're yelling, come in, it's fantastic. And he, he's taking up an implement of war trying to, uh, you know, take the city by force. And it dawns on you. Christ did everything he could. <clears throat> and we may have the privilege of, you know, putting our, putting our arm around our Savior and saying, look, I know you did all you could. We may have to wipe tears from his face. And that, that I believe, will be the culmination of the plan of redemption. And that's when it will finally be settled in our minds that God's character has finally, irrevocably been, been revealed to the universe, and humanity has finally got it. And in love, he's leaving them out there. Yes, it would be absolute torment for them to to be inside the city and to hear hear songs of praise all the time and to to be associated with uh, people who love him more than he loves himself. It's correct. Thank you. It would. It is. It is in grace and love that he is left out in, left outside. I think I understood one of your earlier question is why is it taking so long. And, you know, because I don't know if I'm the only one that's wondered why Jesus didn't come before the flood. I mean, why did it take all those thousands of years? Why did he happen to insert himself in history so far down the line? And then again, it's been a lot longer than that, and, and we're still here. And my feeling about that is that he is trying to answer every question anybody in the universe would ever have about his character by a demonstration mode, and it takes that long to demonstrate the answer to everybody's question. I think that's a fair point. We're going to get to, uh, in fact, in Tuesday's lesson, uh, Wednesday's lesson, when will Jesus come? Um, we're going to we're going to see some interesting uh, interesting thoughts. Uh, meanwhile, moving on to Tuesday's lesson, how will Jesus come? Um, is it so important to know how Christ will come as to know the character of the one who comes? Just look at the scene. <laughs> Wendell said just look at his feet we talked about that a couple weeks ago feet touch the ground not him the lesson emphasizes the display of Christ's coming in fact it says quote lightning cannot be hidden or faked it flashes and shines throughout the sky in such a way that everyone can see it so will Jesus' second coming be no advertisement will be needed to call the people's attention toward it Every human being, good and evil, saved and lost, even, quote, those who pierced him will see him coming. Well, let's see. What does Scripture have to say about lightning or fire from heaven? Someone look up Job 116 and someone else look up Revelation 13, verses 13 through 17. Job 116, Revelation 13, uh, verses 13 through 17. Whoever has a Job text, shout it out. Or raise your hand so we can get the microphone over close to you. Job, okay, go. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, my. Okay, well, what's the context of that? Job, Job and Job's family had been given over to Lucifer to do what he wished. And what did Lucifer do? 
brought fire from heaven down and consumed family, crops, livestock. All right, Revelation 13, verses 13 through 17. Who has that? Raise your hand. Please. Okay, in the back. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven and on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay, so the he in that context, again, is Lucifer. So we have seen that a false god can provide lightning. So is lightning what we have to look for? No. In fact, even a man can produce lightning. How many of you are familiar with Nikola Tesla? Okay, if you've ever seen a Frankenstein movie... Any Frankenstein movie has this big sphere with with you know electricity shooting out from it. That's it's a magnet. I think it's called a magnetic. Oh, excuse me, a magnifying transmitter. Okay, it's Nikola Tesla's invention. A man can create lightning. So lightning must not be it. The feet on the ground must not be it. What, what else is it that we need to know about the how of Christ's coming? There will be an earthquake. <laughs> there will be an earthquake, okay. Those aren't happening now, are they? No. Christ is not here. We have a unique understanding, I believe, that we, we believe, or I believe, that Satan will be allowed to counterfeit Christ on earth. How will we know the difference? It's not the feet on the ground. It's his methods of operation. Thank you. She said it's his methods of operation. It's his tactics. Okay. Yes. Maybe God will allow the devil to be imperson- to impersonate in those ways that you're saying. Uh, the ones you've been listing. Because if we're using those to identify whether it's Christ alone or not, we can do that without ever knowing him. That's right. But if we have to, it's, it's, it's the Christian following the letter of the law but never knowing Christ. It's the same idea. Yeah, oh, history is history has shown us that we there's been a people that are following the letter of God's law, and when God came and walked on him among them, they conspired and they murdered him. Okay, and that was successful once. Might that be successful again? So, aren't people going to people say, "Oh, well, the, this is this is the checklist here," but there's no they they don't know the person. 
That's right. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. In fact, I want to suggest that much of Christianity is embracing a God with satanic qualities, a coercive methodology, a love me or I'll kill you uh, mindset. Okay? And lo and behold, that's the kind of God that Lucifer is going to give them. And they'll say, this is our God. He has come to save us. Sobering. Um, Wednesday's lesson, when will Jesus come? Well, let's see what the founder of our church has to say about this. When will Jesus come? It's Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I think that's fairly clear. So by using our higher uh, deductive powers, we may conclude that the, quote, gospel of the kingdom of heaven has yet to be preached to all the world because the end has not come. Has a false gospel yet been preached to all the world? Some other question. Does it matter when Jesus comes? Or should it matter? He comes for each of us when we die, if you think about it. That's the end of our conscious state on this earth. And we, our character... Decisions have been made. Character has been formed. Okay. Yeah, there's no second chance. That's all right. These are some, um, these are some quotes from Ellen White. Um this is from First Testimonies, page 131 and 132. I was shown the company present at the conference. I'm not sure which conference she's talking about. Maybe general conference. I don't know. Said the angel, quote, Some food for worms. Some subjects of the seven last plagues. Some will be alive and remain on the earth to be translated at the coming of Jesus. This was written in 1856. So according to the angel that was talking to Ellen White, some, some people... At the conference she was at, we're going to be alive at the coming of Christ. So eternity can begin a conception for some people. Hang on. This is uh, one of her personal letters in 1876. It is really not wise to have children now. Time is short. The perils of the last days are upon us, and the little children will be largely swept off before this. What do we make of these? You know, this is one of the founders of, of Adventism. What do we... What do you make of these statements? Okay, I've cherry-picked them to prove a point. Well, even in Jesus' day, the disciples in the Bible say, we're right almost there. And like like you said, you know, our end of time, or anybody's end of time, could be the day we die. So we shouldn't be just safe looking like it's going to be a long distance or a short distance. We should live as if we're going to live forever. But, die, but I mean, plan as if we're going to live forever, but live as if we're going to die today, that would, you know, that's a way of living in respect to the second coming that, that would be appropriate for us personally to address the second coming. But even in the even the disciples thought it was going to be right around the corner. That's right. These are some other statements. This is from Second Testimonies, page 194, written in 1868. 
The long night of gloom is trying, but the morning is deferred in mercy, because if the master should come, so many would be found unready. Desire of Ages, 633 and 34, 1898. This is a good one. Had the Church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would before this have been warned, and the Lord Jesus would have come to our earth in power and great glory. Oops. And finally, from Christ's Object Lessons, page 69, written in 1900. Christ is waiting with a longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is the privilege of every Christian, and note, there's no, she doesn't say every Adventist. She says it's the privilege of every Christian, not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. What do we make of these statements? Okay, the first two quotes I, I wrote to you shows me that, it, that Ellen White thought that in her lifetime Christ would come. And the older she got, and the more she saw uh, the direction that Christianity and Adventism was taking, and the more she learned about God's character, and the more insight she was given from God, she realized that Christianity has dropped the ball. Peggy. Comment from Star. Okay. Ellen White also said that Christ could have come in her day if the church leaders had embraced the message of Jones and Wagner. But the leaders did not accept the message, so she took it to the people. Right. Church leadership. That was the problem when Christ was walking on earth, isn't it? It was the church leadership. It wasn't the, it wasn't the people. Wendell. Before we get too um, critical of one of our most recent church you know, founders... If we go back to the, the New Testament, read in 3 John um, 1.18, sorry, 2.18, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. Forgive me if I'm coming across as critical. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that she's, she's telling us quite clearly that we, we have the capability and the privilege to hasten the coming of Christ. I mean, think about that, folks. We can, we can accelerate the time down. Now, okay, God knows when everything is going to come to fruition, and he understands when we're finally going to get our act together and reveal his character. But we have the, we have the capability to hasten it. Yes, sir. If we subscribe to the idea that when we die or go to sleep that we're in a suspended uh, what's the term? Suspended animation. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing that the founder of the church would know, or that I would know, the next thing that I would know is that Christ is coming. So, in fact, that is happening that, during my lifetime. It did happen. Because the next thing I know is he's going to be coming in the clouds of heaven. 
when I wait, when, when, when the resurrection occurs, that's the next thing. Just to ponder. I'm pondering it. Uh, okay, let's see. One point on Thursday's lesson, and we'll need to wrap it up. Um, Thursday's lesson, watch and be ready. Why is it so crucial for us to watch and always be ready for Christ's coming? Uh, the reference, uh, the, the lesson reference is Matthew 24, verse 42 and 44. I'm more interested in uh, verses 45 through 47, talking about the wise and unwise servant. Um, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household and given them f- to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler of all his goods. I want you guys to note the character of the wise servant. He has been tasked with feeding the household. Well, who's the household and what are they to be fed? Isn't the household the the rest of humanity? And aren't we to be feeding them the, the, the true gospel of the character of Jesus of Nazareth? There's a work to be done where you're to occupy till he comes. Correct. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Thank you. Gracious Father, um, it is a sobering responsibility to understand that we have the capability to hasten your coming. We ask for uh, guidance and strength along those lines, that we may uh, that we may actually do that. Uh, please continue to bless this class individually and corporately. Um, lead us in the paths that, um, that we need to be led in to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Have a good weekend.